0: Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey, welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. Thank you so much for joining us. Please do us a huge favor if you haven't done it already. And what are you waiting for? Come on! I promise you, it won't hurt. Uh, like, rate, subscribe comment whatever you can do to help us share this with other people would be a great great help so as you know for the month of july we're taking a little bit of a break and we're offering you the best of and so today we're going to be going to be doing the best of culture guests. So these are guests who have some prominent role in the culture, who are impacting the culture in a powerful way. Um, These are people who maybe are cultural icons or just have some type of cultural prominence, as I said. So I I really love to have these kind of guests on because they give you a different perspective than you're going to hear from the political side or even the cause kind of based side. So I'm really excited to be able to share this with you today. So without further ado, I want to share with you the
1: best of culture guests. You know, I I just, I have a heart for people who are struggling and I have, I have a great deal of compassion for those that are struggling because I know what it was like. I was in that place once by the time.
0: Yeah, I have, I have no doubt, man, that, uh, in fact, there may be people who are listening who don't even believe in God, but I just got to tell you, I have no doubt that God allowed you to experience the highest heights and then the lowest lows so that you could tell everybody in between that there is hope. That there that there is an opportunity out
1: no question I mean it, it, there is you know because when I look at my life and then I look at some of the other ones and look at all the celebrities that nobody ever said they have problems and they OD and died and everybody sweep it under the rug they didn't have to die yeah you know all we all we have to do is be able to say they have a problem and, and there's a god that loves them that will take them right where they at and heal them because your money is not going to heal you your fame is not going to heal you the trophies is not going to heal them. The rings are not going to heal me. None of that is. It's only God himself that can come and heal you when you have been through something horrible like the disease of addiction or alcoholism. It is real. It is powerful. And the only person that could come and take you and make a turn for the good, for the good, you know, there's recovery and some people stay in the recovery and nothing wrong with the 12-stress people that got recovery. But the kids today, they don't, they don't, they don't respond to that. You know, they it's something that they need to go deeper inside of them. Uh, because first of all, they're they're very educated. Their IQs are off the chart. Then they got social media and all these different outlets uh, to be able to find everything, and it's so different. And you know, my hope is is that some of them will come to the point of finding God in their life to help them walk this walk and enjoy their life.
0: Yeah, okay, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, I I absolutely love um, the fact that you're able to share your story with people. So for those who are listening and maybe even some who are searching for content right now and they're maybe in a city that has some extreme lockdown, uh, we've heard the statistics about some some counties in America having a greater suicide rate than there is like a covid death rate. Um, so I would, I would just want you to kind of share with them, uh, so that they can find this kind of point of relating. Um, what was the breaking point for you? What was the point where you realize I've got to get help? Because there may be somebody out there who's asking that question, like, well, I just, you know, I dabble with this and I dabble with that, but I don't think I have a problem. What was that moment for you when you stopped the excuses and you said, Hey, it's time for something to change?
1: Well, I think we all say that, you know, I really don't have a problem, you know, I just, I just like to get high and I just. You know, I lose my job, I lose my family and, and I lose everything, but it's all because of, of the addiction, because of the problem that I had. And, and we all, we all come to that place where we in that place, which we call such denial, you know, more than anything, because I went to all the best treatment centers, but I still wasn't ready to turn it over. So it wasn't until I really got to a place where I got into church and then I really started surrendering myself daily to God. I mean, because everybody say, well, you can find a God that you're understanding. Well, there was no God under my my understanding. There was only one God that I needed to find. And everybody said, well, how did you find it? I said, he was never lost. I was lost. Yeah. It it was just, just, you know, it was just me coming to make a real commitment to follow some new principles and, and do some things different. And I think that's the challenge of everyone that struggles is to find new principles and do something different you know, a different way, a, 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 what way is different, changing your people, places, and things, all the things that you have to do uh, to ride, ride into another place uh, for yourself to become set free. And I think that's what happened for me. I had to let go of a lot of the old stuff. I had to go let go of the baseball jersey. I had to get rid of the memorabilia. I had to stop thinking about what I used to do. And I had to start thinking about who can I become with new principles in my life. So once I got into church and and I started studying the word, there was new principles that started to uh, come into my life and I started to move in a different direction because once you get into the new principles, you will start to move in a new direction. But once yeah. you commit to them, I mean, you can't just half step on, you can't just be a hypocrite, hip- hypocrite step or straddle the fence, you know? And I think a lot of times that, that's what we do. We straddle the fence, you know, well, I, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. I just didn't want to be a hypocrite anymore, so I came all the way in, and I tried the new principles, and guess what? It changed my entire life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I want to kind of uh, dive into something you said there, because you you kind of illustrated, I'll put it in my own words, but you illustrated the fact that most people cannot... Um, get saved until they get over themselves. Now, obviously, for somebody like yourself, that was probably a little bit more of a task just because you had achieved so much success. So let's change the script a little bit and make it more universal because there may be somebody listening to this who is not um, uh, addicted to a drug but they may be they have that common addiction to every single man for sure but probably people and certainly so many Americans they're addicted to success or the idea of success I know as a man that that's it that uh, that gets me going and if I'm not careful I have to be I I, I have to be careful about that the, the reality is success can be very alluring and 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 I was thinking about this and I hope this isn't too abstract but I was thinking about Instagram influencers today or social media influencers today who have jumped on the bandwagon of positive mental attitude and just, you know, kind of maybe even the secret style of, um, of just the law of attraction and just believing it enough and you'll get it. And, and, um, and, and maybe there's even some element of truth to some of that stuff. And maybe some people just need some extra inspiration. But I think you and I would agree that when you start making promises that only God can keep, you're going to get yourself in a little bit of trouble. And it just it's bothersome a little bit to me um, how popular people can get uh, trying to sell success to people. And I think the interesting thing with your story, if I'm not mistaken and you correct me, is that it, that, that you had to get over your success to find success. T- tell me a little bit about kind of that story and, and, and speak to anybody who would uh, be a success chaser right now and the pitfalls that sometimes success brings with it. Because you've been there. You've experienced it. I'll, it's safe to say that you've experienced more success than most people ever will in their life and certainly the success that some people only dream of about so you've experienced and what would you tell us about the the sometimes emptiness that success brings with it
1: well just i could tell you it's not all what you think it is to be you know cracked up to be i think a lot of people think well if i had all this and i was this and i was popular and i'm on social media i got followers all that is meaningless all that means nothing at the end of the day you know who are you really who are you in christ who are you at the end because your life will come to an end and none of it belongs to you. And you can understand what, I think what people don't understand is they think their influence is very powerful, but we're just the same as the people back in the Old Testament. Their influence was powerful too. And those that didn't follow God, guess what happened to them? They got destroyed, you know, at the end of the day. But it it was the ones that stayed with God's principles, the ones that didn't feel qualified, that didn't feel, great about themselves. When you look at Moses, Moses had a speech impediment, he can barely talk and, and God used him mightily because of his meekness to lead the Israelites out of bondage, you know? There is not a man that's gonna be able to lead people out of bondage, because if, because if, because if he had, if he, if he was able to, if he had the influence he has, and he was able to lead people out of bondage, then why are we going through what we're going through in a nation with people? Because they're broken. And lawlessness brings about brokenness, and then you go, you go more through the Bible. Different people, like God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach the priest of gospel. He jumps on a boat to go the other way, and God throws him in a fish, belly of a fish for three days and three nights, and then spits him out, and he goes and tell them to repent, and the whole city repent, and they get saved. And what God tries to show us through us is just if we just do what He has called us to do, not to have all this stuff, not to get consumed with all this stuff because when you get consumed with all of it, one day when it comes crashing down, then you're not gonna know how to handle it because it will come crashing down because nothing lasts forever. And that's what people don't understand. Yeah, there's wealthy people in this nation. And there's, yeah, there's people that has great influence on social media and all these things. But at the end of the day, when God call your name, where are you going? I think a lot of people don't take time off to think about that, Reed. I think they think about the instant gratification fix. I had that through major league baseball, but I learned so much about King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon was the richest, wisest man of Jerusalem ever to take the face of the earth. He had everything, had more wives than anybody in the natural will ever have, had more stuff. And he goes on to say, It all is meaningless under the sun without God. It means nothing. It just means nothing. Because he writes the book of Proverbs with wisdom and knowledge. And then he goes back to write this book of Ecclesiastes, where he got off track from following the God that he was serving before and did his own thing. And then he gets to this place where he talks about this empty void that's in the inside of every last one of us. I don't care how much stuff you get, this void is only this void is only created for God Himself, you know, to pour His Spirit down into you so you can feel the real revelation and, and the joy of who he is and, and not stuff. And I think we get people have to get past the fact that stuff is not gonna make you happy. I, I as you looked at some of the richest people and some of the most successful uh, people and and in, in sports and, and movies and everything, well. <clears throat> If they were so happy, why they can't stay together? Mm. Yep, that's that, That's a real reality. Something's wrong. They have everything. What's the problem? Well, yep. so, guess where the problem lies. The problem lies within. Yes. Why you think they? Why you think they go from person to person, trying to fulfill the fulfillment of the flesh? You know, sin, the pleasure of sin. They want to fulfill that because when you're in the midst of that, it's good. But but you know what? Nobody's telling them. Well. God is telling them, but they won't listen. You know, He's telling them, for the wages of sin is death. You're going to die in that sinful way, and you're going to die in such a bad way, and you're going to go to a very bad place because you're not going to get into the kingdom of God. Everybody always say, well, praise God, uh, rest in peace. He's gone to heaven. It doesn't work like that. People better start picking that Bible up and reading it for themselves to understand that yeah. that God, that God yeah. is very clear about people getting into his kingdom.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think positivity is good, optimism is good, but at the end of the day, we got to ask ourselves what we have built our house on. Is it something? Is it a house of cards that's that's going to last, uh, or or is it something that's a firm foundation, as the as the Bible says, that building your life upon Christ and His Word truly is. Um, and and I don't know if you know Dion Sanders, but but what we're talking about reminds me of his story uh, where. Uh, he had just won the Super Bowl for the first time. He was the MVP for the game. He got a Lamborghini and uh, he left the after party after celebrating his Super Bowl victory and went to the hotel room and is all by himself. And he said that he felt the most empty feeling he had ever felt in his life because he had achieved everything in the game that he possibly dreamed he could have achieved. He was at the pinnacle and it was not what he expected it to be. He finally arrived. And he realized that he didn't really achieve anything that was of any value. When, when was that? Did you have those moments when you were when you were living the high life?
1: I get it. You know, I I did that all the time. You know, having success. You know, winning trophies, rookie of the year, all star, and you know, championships and just everything. And you know, hitting home runs, sometime running around the bases, fans cheering, going crazy. Yes, yeah, excitement in the middle of it. But after you go take the uniform off, you should figure, man, who am I? You know, at the end of the day, what is life really all about? Because what people don't understand is a uniform does not make you a man. It makes you an athlete. It doesn't make you a man, you know? And I wasn't a man. My baseball uniform made me a baseball player. I didn't become a man until I met Jesus. And when I met Jesus, that's when I became a man because that's when I started to live according to real principles. See, when you don't live according to real principles and you live to your own standards, you're going to be in the flesh and the flesh want what does the flesh want more of this more of that more of that and once i get it okay what's next yeah it's it's still it still it still doesn't fulfill you on the inside and i think a lot of us have thought that way i've thought that way a lot of times you know from the success i was having and at the same time going after another another year after the season's over i've had a great year what's next i'll go I want to go for the biggest contract what's next you know once you get there it's always more you're going to always need more and i think the difference is with god is i don't i just need more god to be free every day that i wake up i need the joy i need the peace i need to know that i'm on the right track i need to know that i'm focused on the right thing and yeah. what's the right thing at the end of the day i believe the right thing for all of us is to be able to give back and and help somebody else when you have a story it's about going back and help somebody else so many people Uh, come from the lifestyle that I have, that have stories of success, but they won't ever tell you about their failures, you know, because we all have failures. I don't care who you are. uh, Every last one of us is going to have some failures in this lifetime.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I forgot to mention, by the way, in that moment, Deion Sanders, that's when he became a Christian. He knelt down and he prayed and he received Christ in that moment of just incredible emptiness. But um, I, I think all that's important because you talk a lot in your book about identity, um, and so essentially that's what we're talking about today because the person who's listening to this could say, oh, well, I don't need Jesus. You know, I don't need the crutch of religion or I need, don't need to have my faith in anything necessarily to be, able to, uh, to be able to beat addiction or to be able to find meaning in this life or whatever you, you may say. That they would say, well, I, I just don't see that religion fits into that whole thing and I just think that's a, a crutch for weak-minded people. In fact, my brother, when I was talking to him a long, long time ago, and this was before he became a Christian, by the way, and now he is one. Um, he said, oh, well, your Christianity is just a crutch for you. And I was offended when I first heard it. I was like, just a crutch? You're just calling me weak? And then I started to think about it, and I was like, you know what? He's right. My, my Christianity is a crutch for me because I realize that I can't walk by myself. I can't do this thing on my own. So in chapter three, you talk about this a lot, and it's a beautiful chapter. Uh, I encourage people to go out and grab the book, but why do you think it is so important that we establish our identity from our creator rather than from things or anything else?
1: Well, because everything else is going to pass away, and we're going to pass away too. And I think the reality of people, they identify themselves in what they do and what they have, and they don't realize that it doesn't belong to us. You know, God's just letting you use it while you're here. But that day comes when God's going to call your name. You remember the book of Job when he called his name? Everything was taken away. He told yeah. the, He told that. He told the devil, "You can have everything, but you can't have his soul. Do whatever you want."
0: Yeah. By the way, what was taken from him was his wife, everything he owned, and all of his children. Almost all in a day. All of it was taken.
1: Go ahead. Oh, oh, good, good. That, yeah, all, everything. Your family, kids, everything. And, and, and there he was, you know, and, and his wife was telling him, uh, why don't you just give up on that God and stop worshiping that God? And he must have looked at her and said, woman, you must be foolish. I'm not going to never.
0: <laughs> yeah. We don't encourage husbands to say that, but that is what he said. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. I am never, ever going to walk away from this God. I'm going to keep worshiping this God. Uh, and you know what God ended up doing for him, giving him a double portion of what he lost because of his faith. And I think so many times, you know, you see so many people who are out there that, that look like they have it all together, but no, nobody ever tells them, man, one day you're going to have to, you're going to have to meet God. Yeah. And he, he's not going to talk about this house you got over here, this home you got over here, this car you drove over here, and, and the little stuff that you did to say, the charity work that you did to say, well, look at me. He's not going to talk, he's going to say, what did you do for my kingdom? Yeah. You, you had every opportunity. You heard the gospel just like everybody else. We've all heard the gospel. What did you do with the good news? And that's what God is more concerned about. And I think people need to uh, pay attention a little bit more to that because when you, when you think about it, Reed, and you look at the times that we're in now, we are seeing it. We are seeing the wilderness. We are seeing uh, wickedness just run wild and crazy like never before. And, the, and and guess what? The devil is not even loose yet. Wait till he get loose to be able to uh, have the influence on more people. He will have certainly more influence on people once he gets turned loose. But right now he's there, he's in people's thoughts and he's making people believe that, you know, I could be successful without God. Man, I wish I could tell you, I wish I could say, I don't really care about the, you know, the great success I had as a baseball player. I wish I could have followed God when I was playing baseball like that. I, I wish I would have had that walk that I have today, what Gary Carter was, what Mookie Wilson was, guys that I saw that lived for Christ. They didn't live for the worldly things and they lived for their family, they had principles, but they were a baseball player, they were happy, they were free while the rest of us were still searching and wanting more attention, wanting more of this, more of that, whatever it was. And, and you look for it out there in all the wrong ways, and I think those guys were a prime example of what you're supposed to live like.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe just to flip the script a little bit to again make it a little bit more universal beyond just people dealing with recovery and stuff, but um, um, because I think this is uh, this is something that's interesting to me, and it and it does verge into the sports world because again, talking about identity and where we get our identity. Um, I think if we were to listen to the news media, now I know full stop right there, like, why would you do a thing to yourself like that? Like, listen to the news media and actually get your information from them. But um, but if we listen to the news media, I, I think one of the things that we would come away with is that um, if you're a black man in America, the one thing that you can't be is grateful. You have to have a grievance. You have to be Um, a victim where you have to be upset about something. I mean, you even think about, and I don't wanna get too political here, but I wanna be honest. You think about um, athletes like LeBron James, who said that um, black people are being hunted down in the streets every single day by police officers, which which is just objectively not true. Um, But but regardless of, of what we think about what's going on in race in America today, the one thing I think that perhaps you can certainly shed a light on, and something that you could share uh, with us is is the false kind of pathway of resentment and how that doesn't necessarily... Get you to where you want to be, and how that doesn't fulfill you, and how that's a how that's a path that's never going to bring anything good from it, and how actually gratitude, um, regardless of what your past experience has been, because the reality is, is for some people, sure, their subjective experience, especially as a minority member in America, has not been good. They've had bad experience with the police. They've had bad experiences with white people or whoever. Um, certainly, that some people have that experience. Uh, by and large, I don't know, but but the reality is, is regardless of what your is and your book drips with this, which again is why I encourage people to read it. It drips with gratitude, with gratitude. Now, uh, yeah, yeah, you probably could say obviously you've been given a lot in your life. You had some amazing talent. You, 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 you've had wealth and you've had all sorts of things, but you probably lost some of that too between here and there. Um, so I know obviously your experience is your experience, but but what would you say to anybody, um, especially? somebody who is trying to be an athlete or maybe somebody in minority communities about uh, where resentment will lead and where gratitude will lead?
1: Well, I can tell you this. Uh, I've never been a follower. Yeah, yeah. I've, always, I've always been a leader, regardless of what I uh, had to go through and what I had to endure. I've still always been a leader. So if you can't lead yourself in, into the example of who you really want to be, then uh, you're going to follow the crowd. So, and that's what happens to a lot of people. They follow what somebody else is saying instead of standing on their own two feet. And yes, of course, have, you all, have we all been through something? If people of color? Yes, you've been through some experience. Seven, but I never let that hold me down. I never let that hold me back. You know, have, have it, ha, has it been unfair in some, pl- um, some places? Yes, it's, it's, it's a reality that we grow up in. It's, it's what we've been through as a nation together. You know, how, do, how do you move forward from that? Well, first thing first, I, I look at I've always looked at, you got to have some real leaders who are really qualified to speak about real things. Yeah. You know, not just because, not just because I put on a uniform and I've done well. It, it, the uniform has nothing to do with it. That doesn't make me a leader. I told like I said before, that just makes me a ball player. Um, right. And that makes me have a voice and a platform. But if you've been through, if you've experienced some things in life, you've been through some things and you have overcome them, you have great gratitude because now you understand what grace is. See guys, that's the problem with so many of us. We don't understand grace because we think we deserve and we don't deserve and God has given God has given to all of us and he's given grace to every last one of us and when I started understanding grace that second Corinthians 12 9 and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness what is he saying there he's saying I'm made strong in you and your weakness when you're weak I'm strong I will come to you and I will give you grace and I will carry you over throughout anything that you will face it's just a matter of, do I have the right attitude? Do I have the right perspective of looking at it and seeing it that way? And a lot of times, most people don't have that. They want to say, well, this is what it is. And then the, everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Yeah, we've been suffering for so long. And, you know, being an athlete and being rich and famous as an athlete, you haven't suffered. You've been blessed. What are you talking about? you never been on the street. They never dragged you down the street. You know, you've never been through that. Yes, you, you've seen others go through that, but I have never been through that. So what do what do I do? I have to learn to stand on what's real, and I have to be able to get real principles. I can't just give my voice, my my opinion, because yeah. my opinion, my opinion of what I think is really nothing compared to what God thinks. Because first of all, He gave you the grace. Yeah, and this is where we have gone wrong as a nation of people, and not understanding that you don't deserve the grace He's given to you as the sinner. He didn't have to give it to you. But you don't people don't look at that part of their life and It was like every everybody want to uh, everybody want to portray you know well i'm good i've never done nothing wrong well when people tell you that you need to you need to run and, <laughs> yeah and keep running from them because everybody has done something wrong and everybody will fall short
2: you might pre- prefer not to be hurt you might prefer to live yeah, yeah. But you're like, I gave you my life, Lord. I'm going to die anyways. The moment I was conceived, I was terminally ill. So I'm going to end this anyways. I'd rather go down like a man of God, loving you and and giving you what the one little thing I can give you is my sacrifice to you because of what you've given to me. So, yeah, this is is a deep furnace, cleansing, refining period in America. And he's going to weed out the posers. He's going to get them out of it. There's no more time. But the, but the church is going to have to at least at least uh, realize that what is expected of you is the truth, mm-hmm. is to not be concerned about uh, absurd that, that cultural Marxism, which is what political correctness is, has now given more uh, influence to the church than the church has towards it. And so people don't want to hurt people's feelings. They don't want to shame. That's a big one. Don't shame. Don't fat shame. Don't slut shame, right? Don't shame. These are terms they use. It's like, what is shame for? Shame is to remind us that we have missed God's mark and it's supposed to drive us to repentance. Ironically, every time you don't speak truth to somebody in hopes of not hurting their feelings, you are literally stealing their souls access to re to redemption by taking away the conviction that was designed to drive them hopefully to god either for the first time or back to god where they have wandered and we have stolen their that soul's ability uh to uh to repent because we've taken away the shame that's supposed to come Mm -hmm. from dishonoring god everything is backwards up is down right is wrong evil is good good is evil i i am not a conspiracy theory guy i am not uh i don't even care frankly about revelation because i feel like who knows what it means (laughs) i can't figure it out i don't care i will say to you in the first time in my life i can say i wouldn't be surprised if if god's wrapping up this story this Mm -hmm. is the end because it's the first time in our history of, of world history that one entire world was subject to an edict based on one idea of virus and theocracies like Islamic countries bowed to the same idea that atheistic communists bowed to that free market of the West, all different points of view, different philosophy, different ideologies, all succumbed. And gave away their liberties or their perspective or their worldview to the same idea, we need to shut this down, we need to wear a mask, we need to boo boo-boo. Suddenly I realized this whole idea of, of uh one world government, I see how we can do it now. It's actually possible yeah, now for sure. So yeah. it's never been like that. So that's why I realized if there was a time for God to really not to punish us maybe man but to say just to let you know we're wrapping this up you might want to get in
0: yeah can i can i share with you that's a good segue into one thing i wanted to ask you about um Perhaps one of those signs that, notwithstanding, maybe like uh, of Armageddon, but maybe one of those signs that we're certainly in an interesting time. We're in a time where God forbid that these people uh, be truly awakened, and and the church not be outspoken. But what's interesting right now is, especially in the comedic world, we're watching people who uh, typically might uh, find themselves considered liberal or certainly people on the left. Um, uh, Speak out about kind of some of the things that's happening. I don't know if you heard about Sil- Sarah Silverman and what she said just recently, but uh, she's an incredibly coarse comic, so I, I didn't put want to put her clip up, but she essentially said, we've got to stop it with the righteousness porn that consistently leaves no room for redemption. She's kind of talking about cancel culture and stuff, and just like how um, how we love to stand up on our piety and our holier-than-thou stuff, and she's decrying people, not Christians anymore, right, which we used to get accused of that a lot, but she's decrying people on, on the left for uh, for what she considers righteousness porn, and these guys are starting to speak out more and more and more. I never thought the words would come out of my mouth that I'm about to tell you that Dave Chappelle, speaking out against abortion uh, in his comedy special, I think it was Sticks and Stones, just absolutely blew my mind. So I want to give my audience an example of this and perhaps you an example. I'd just love to hear what you have to say about even people uh, far on the left starting to feel uncomfortable with the way in which our society is going. So I wanted to play this clip real quick from uh, Bill Burr. I don't
3: know. I'll probably get canceled for doing that joke, you know? How stupid is that cancel thing? They're literally running out of people to cancel. They're going after dead people now. They're trying to cancel John Wayne. It's like, yeah, dude, God did that 40 years ago. They're all up in arms. They're like, did you hear what he said in that interview in Playboy in 1970? Can you believe that? It's like, yeah, he was born in 1907. That's what these people sounded like. You never talked to your grandparents and brought up the wrong subject, and all of a sudden it went off the rails like, oh, oh, Grandma! Just keep making the cookies. Yeah, you don't bring up race or religion with your grandparents. You keep it simple. Plowing ahead. Let's, Let's talk, uh, let's talk white women here, shall we? Let's talk white women. White women, you're amazing. Amazing your accomplishments over the last few years. I gotta tell you, the way white women somehow hijack the woke movement Generals around the world should be analyzing this. Just to refresh your memory, the woke movement was supposed to be about people of color, not getting opportunities, the at-bats that they deserved, finally making that happen. And it was about that for about eight seconds. And then somehow, white women swung their Gucci booted feet over the fence of oppression and stuck themselves at the front of the line. I don't know how they did it. I've never heard so much complaining in my life from white women. My life is so hard Eh, with my SUV and my heated seats. You have no idea what it's like to be me.
0: All right, so I wanted to share that because um, if I could be totally honest, I think what you were doing all the way back in 2004 and some of the things that you were saying and the courage at least that you were displaying sounds a lot like some of these comedians that I hear present day. Now, perhaps... There's far more rich history of social commentary and comedy than even I know and that I give it credit for, but I just find it incredibly interesting that these people who are not Christians and don't align with our values are starting to feel more and more uncomfortable and less and less at home in an America that's moving further and further to the left. So I wonder if you could just comment on that, but also to maybe even going back to something that we just scratched the surface of, the role of comedy in being that medicine, maybe that laughter is a medicine scripture verse has something to do with this, that it's a remedy for what's going on in our world.
2: Uh, Well, you know, Ricky Gervais, by the way, has been made a lot of comments against uh, political correctness. And he's an atheist. He's a missionary for atheism. Uh, But he stands up against that nonsense. And he's done it on those when he's done these award shows. You know, he's been politically incorrect. Bill Burr is great at that uh it's amazing that he's been able to pull this off under the the culture that we have now uh, i didn't know sarah silverman said what she said but uh she uh uh certainly is a a, a good person to say that because of, like you said her style of comedy is so uh uh blue and and whatever uh crass that uh, for her to say that uh is great uh i guess it would be two twofold sort of comment on those uh perspectives uh oh and bill maher does is now been pushing back against it bill maher another atheist uh why 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 is it at me well the first thing you have to remember and this is what i teach you gotta understand something again i didn't know this was how it was all going to pan out i just thought i'd do comedy and (laughs) make a living and here i go so now i'm in churches right and i'm performing all over the country and more and more people bring me in because i don't just do comedy but then i teach or i talk about the frankfurt school and in cultural marxism and what has happened to us or i talk about um uh uh you know what these ideas of uh, uh multiculturalism as opposed to e pluribus unum and and intersectionality and all these things now why do i talk about it first off you won't ever hear me say liberal used to don't say it anymore i say leftist not afraid of liberals they let me speak they let you speak they disagreed but everybody got a place at the table leftists don't do that you don't speak you think like me or we destroy you that's marxism that's communism that's atheism's buttressing of that because they have no morals uh, uh transcendent moral uh, absolutes that they have to answer to so uh when they uh, talk about cancel culture when we see this in the culture when we see this idea of of me too movements all these pieces i want you to understand why people are so passionate it's their religion yeah it isn't an idea yes it's not a a, a sus they have jettisoned god a long time ago you are a human designed to worship god if you take him out you don't worship nothing you find a counterfeit you find an idol and you worship that. You have to worship. Yeah,
0: and and just to just to interject really really quick, um, this is history too. This is not just Brad Stein. This is history. When God is removed, uh, there the big G God, uh, a little G is put in its place almost always, as you can see in history and its government. Right
2: yeah of course of course you have to fix it you're the one bigger than us you're the one that has all the resources you're the one that's watching over us we don't know everything that's going on but you do i mean it's simply an idol you've simply it's israelites again worshiping baal even though god got them through it so that's the first thing you you or your people that watch need to understand you're fighting a religion a religious spirit and it's demonic so it's going to be rough. It's going to be dark. It's going to be strong. It's going to be good. Uh, but the other thing is that comics, for the most part, uh, aren't, weren't usually very religious, not necessarily atheists, though more have come out that way because it's become the, you know, uh, uh, cool thing to do is to, be, to call yourself an atheist. But they used to be when i was back in the clubs not so much atheists as much as indifferent they just didn't care they just were really more new uh hedonists you know just going with whatever they felt like it but suddenly they're in listen our entire uh, ability to have a job to do what we're creatively designed to do as comics is to use words yes. well suddenly the words are being shackled Suddenly words are being censored. Suddenly parameters are being set up. Suddenly fence posts are being erected around us. And all the free speech that we took for granted is beginning to, to uh, uh, dissipate. And suddenly they're panicking. What happened to the thing that me- gave me the most robust uh, sense of myself when I could speak freely and no didn't have any parameters? So they are experiencing the consequences of their ideas, because ideas have consequences. And so I think that to the comic who treasures uh, the one sacred thing they have, the word, ironically, which is Christ, but they just see it as very bits as nomenclature, uh, is being taken from them. And so they panic. They're like, this matters. That was sacred to me. That's all I had. So I feel it now. And I have to do something about it. Because I think ultimately you know, there's a, you know, it's a, it's a battle. We as Christians know between the spirit and the flesh and we do battle pride, which is the, uh, the, the, the dark side of our fallenness. Uh, but we also were autonomous. God gave us free agency. So that part of our soul that wants to be able to speak and create and, and, and interject into culture based on how you see things, that beautiful part that God gave to us, that isn't necessarily ego-driven, but simply the freedom of speech. Uh, they don't want to lose that because it's important. It, it, it makes us human. It's one of the many things that makes us unique in the universe. And so suddenly they are going to have to pay a price and suddenly they can become our advocates uh, because Christians have been pushed aside.
0: I had this conversation um... I want to be as respectful as I can with this, but with my dad, my dad just recently passed away not okay. too long ago. Um, uh, and, uh, and I, I'll never forget this. He said, I, I think I might've asked him, like my dad had been through a couple marriages and stuff and said, are you going to remarry? And he said, marriage just doesn't work for me, son. And I, I thought that was such an <laughs> audacious claim because I was like, so you're laying what you did at the foot of the institution of marriage rather than your own personal decision. But this is the, this is what we do. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, is very often when we find either issues with ourselves or we find issues that aren't working. It, it the last person in the world we want to look at is the man in the mirror. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and I think on a societal level that's what's happening. So this is why it's so important to talk with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's so important for for fellow Christians to enter into conversations and dialogue about this I stuff agree. and just people, yep. period. Yeah. But uh, but certainly fellow Christians because when, when I. I almost wonder how much this is happening, at least in my experience, I'll say. So maybe it's totally subjective and not objective. But I think when Christians find sticky subjects, they avoid them at all costs because <laughs> you're building a church, you're building an Instagram platform, a Facebook platform, and the last thing you can afford to do is to um, alienate people who are the ones you're trying to reach, right? So there's a noble effort there, but the reality is is also but that can't be done at the expense of truth. And I really think in our culture today, we are sacrificing truth on the altar of sympathy. Um, and we're doing that by and large, um, in the church. And, and the reality is, is regardless if that's agreed, but the one thing I do know is that the truth is way more powerful than sympathy. Um, and, uh, the truth is, uh, whether it's because of postmodernism or what's coming on the heels of postmodernism. Uh, I just recently had a conversation with a guy about, uh, meta modernity, which is like the, the new philosophical, uh, ideology on its way in, supposedly. Uh, but anyway, whatever it is, there is there is no longer this understanding of the truth. We only have like my truth. Yep. Um, and I think we need to, as Christians especially, kind of push back against that and just say, hey, there is still the truth. There is an objective truth outside of your experience, and we need to, need to accentuate that, need to have a conversation about that. So um, the first thing I really kind of wanted to talk with you about is since your book essentially is about gender differences... Um, I want to talk to you about how you think the book has aged, because now the conversation is that <laughs> there's not only gender, no gender differences. There is no such thing as gender. Gender, gender is a social construct. Right. And and if and we want to talk about fact based conversation in a second, but the truth is is that like. To even the idea that is so commonly accepted today that gender is a spectrum and not like a biological scientific reality, is is just kind of an an, um, uh, an odd thing for me. I'm wondering uh, how it sits with you and how um, what the book has to say about some of these things that we're talking about in terms of gender studies and sure. sex studies and our present conversation around these issues.
4: So the first thing I would say to you, well, first of all, before I go there, let me let me pose a question sure. to you that, that I think is key today. And I don't I don't I don't really know what the answer is to it. Okay. Cause because we live in a day and age. Well you're asking
0: the right person because
4: I definitely do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we live in a day and age where information is flowing faster yeah. than anybody can keep up with it. And the, the the picture I carry in my head of what the world is like today is everybody has in front of them a conveyor belt and information is moving on the conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. And there's too much coming at you to keep it all. So it falls off the edge. Yeah. And so it is quite possible for people to believe something today that they didn't believe three or four years ago Mm -hmm. because information has just kept Mm -hmm. rolling. So in that environment where information is always on the move, how do you pick out the information that's always true? Yeah.
0: That's a difficult one. That but this is gonna this is gonna show you how like uh, where my mind goes, maybe <laughs> how much of it like an old man stuck in a, a young man's body I am. Uh, because when you said that, the one thing I kept on thinking about, and I don't even remember her name, but it was that uh, old black and white uh, a TV actress where that conveyor belt it's, it's comes, Lucille Ball, Lucille Ball, <laughs> with that chocolate, and she's just like shoving it down a shirt and shoving it in her mouth, trying to wrap it because right. it's going so fast she can't keep up with it. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. I am an optimist, I swear. Yeah. Uh, not a nihilist. But I think the answer is you don't. I think this is really why I believe Christians cannot afford to take the position of, well, just pray and preach the gospel alone um, and not mm-hmm. be Paul on Mars Hill and say, hey, we're talking to a post-Christian nation now, and we can't even talk about the gospel anymore because the gospel is un- mis- is totally not understood by people. Right. We have to start at a different base level line of reasoning which is truth exists Mm -hmm. and it's important to talk about the truth Mm -hmm. but i so i guess the question is is i don't think we are i don't think we understand what truth even is anymore i agree um and i think the probably as uh as cliche as this may sound is uh, i think the biggest example of this is what we're seeing in the news media is that stories don't all, don't any longer have to be true? Great. Right. Like I, I I was watching Steven right. Glass. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Great. Or it's called Broken or Shattered Glass. I think it's oh, about Steven it Glass. I'll have to. Okay. But it's old. It's an older movie. Okay. It's like from the late '90s, early 2000s, okay. something like that. But it's about a writer in a uh, publication who uh, habitually lied about every single one of his stories, but was so famous that. Uh, uh, that he didn't get caught until much later. And then when they did, they had this moral crisis of this guy. Do we continue to allow him to do this or do we call him on his junk? And now I think Stephen Glass is just like his story is just garbage because every editor in every newsroom in America has been like uh, fired. Uh, I can only imagine. (laughs) So again, all I'm saying is that like Christian, I don't want to keep on beating this drum because I think it's everybody. Uh, we all yeah. have an interest in the well-being of America. I'll say the well-being of our president, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of us need to get behind the position of of objective reality because if we don't, will I think we're going to keep on seeing the division, mm-hmm. the uh, mutually assured destruction that seems to be the philosophy mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. If uh, if we don't, so yeah. So I'm my major concern ultimately is in pulpits in America. It's like if we're not even going to talk the truth there, then I don't Great.
4: I don't know where we go. It's a big challenge today, and people are going to have to wrestle with it. And where we traffic in that is I I actually would not put our book under the category of what today is called gender differences. Okay. Because what's happened in in our society is they've successfully separated the biological reality from the discussion of gender. Okay. So people are even now saying, well, you have your biological sex, but then you have your gender on top of that.
0: Yeah, I know. But there are some people like Deborah So and such mm-hmm. who are saying that that's, that is not a scientific way in which to view this discussion. You cannot separate gender and sex Well, I don't think that you way. can. Yeah.
4: But our book is really about how do you take these biological differences yeah. and work them into your relationship? Mm-hmm. Because the biological differences you can't argue with. Uh-huh. There's so much research behind it. But don't you –
0: would you agree that people are trying to argue with this?
4: They're trying to, but they can't successfully do it.
0: Yeah, because the typical humanities paper – I heard Jordan Peterson say this. The typical humanities paper has maybe like one citation, and the research that you're talking about that you did for this book, thousands and thousands and thousands of of hours. But it doesn't seem that
4: fact-based
0: conversation about gender is important anymore.
4: Well, people are trying to not make it important, Yeah, and, and what happens to the discussion is when you're talking about it theoretically, you can go on and on and on. When you get down to ground level and you try to live it out, <laughs> it comes apart. Context of marriage, yeah. Yeah, like I have had so many friends in my life who when they were single, they would argue the point, point. Mm-hmm. And, and we would have long discussions about how can you say there's only two genders? How can you say everything comes down to male and female? And I would say, well, it's just what the research points out. Yeah. And they would argue the point, argue the point, and then they got married. And they went, hey, can we talk? <laughs> so down at ground level, people recognize th- there are differences here. So when people try to work out a marriage and, and really make it work, yeah. not just live in denial or, you know, you live your life, I'll live my life. We'll intersect every once in a while. If they're really trying to develop a relationship, they realize these differences are there. For sure. If, if you're raising children... And you have a boy and a girl, you recognize the differences are there. And you didn't you didn't train them in. Mm-hmm. They, they came in with the package. Yeah. And it's affected by everything. So we want to make sure we, we don't go to the stereotypical. You know, like there, There's a stereotypical discussion about, well, men are better at mechanical things and women are better at emotional things. Yeah, I know what you Th- mean. Yeah. That's a stereotype that doesn't hold. Right. But the biological differences that impact how we interact with life, those are real, and they are our starting point, and then we mature from there. Yeah, so there's some baseline
0: biological realities yes. that um, are scientifically based in research. And then there are some, some – in some ways, there is a spectrum in which we look at gender, but those are superficial realities and not the things that truly matter. Like, for instance, uh, boys are better – or well – uh, boys are more aggressive. Boys like fighting. Uh, girls are more prissy and like dolls and that kind of stuff. And so there's – I think we could, would, would both agree that we've seen, um, even in the Christian world, some men who are a little bit more effeminate than, than well, other course. men or women who are a little bit more masculine than other women. And
4: well, that, Let me just give you one. It's, it's a fun one to talk about. Because the levels of testosterone and estrogen in your body affect the way that you process life.
0: Right. So So there's a prenatal kind of
4: nature. She, well, where... for instance, studies show that women tend to hear crying babies better than men do. Hmm. Except if you have a situation where androgen levels are, are higher in a female, she doesn't hear the baby cry either. Hmm. So we can't say all males have this this level of testosterone in their body, and all women have this level of estrogen in their body because that's a continuum. Yeah. you know we all have a, a mixture of those. So depending on where the mixture is determines how you process some things in life. Yeah, we need to make room for that in our discussion because that's sure. a practical reality, but it's getting harder to enter that information in. So I think we're we're now at a point where Francis Schaefer used to say, that when, when you are talking with people who are only dealing with information, you have to be willing to go to the point of despair. Mm. Because what happens with philosophies, they sound really good until you get to the end of them. Yeah. And some of these philosophies we're talking about today, they don't have enough substance to hold forever. Yeah. And courageously, what we need to do is help people move to the point where they realize, yeah, I kind of believe in nothing. Mm-hmm. That's a hard place to take people if you care about people. Right. And we often try to do it with a sledgehammer rather than with a relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if if you're willing to ask people questions and stay curious until they get to the point where they realize, yeah, what I believe is not really based on anything, but I'm going to hold on to it anyway. Yeah, I think that's a – I, I want to maybe push back against that just a little bit. How could you?
0: Because that's so right, 100%. But, but, but I'm it's wondering, messy. I'm wondering how much <laughs> – Of pushing through because the reality is is that there's an activist contingent that wants to have these conversations but does not want to have fact-based conversations. What they want to do is they want to yell at you on social media say you're being uh, uh, hateful towards transgender people LGBT community just because you have the conversation. Like I can give you a perfect example. Mm -hmm. Um, I uh, made a comment about the fact that we have to be careful that we're not allowing crisis to be used as a political tool. I made a video about that um, and used that uh, some of this uh, police stuff. While anybody would decry what Derek Chauvin did, and I've talked to multiple police officers sure. and said this is way too long. What that guy did was abuse. Yeah. Um And anytime anybody dies under any circumstance, our heart should be pricked a, a little. But just but jumping on the statistical realities of police shootings against unarmed Great. black men and stuff like that doesn't base doesn't really give a basis for the conversation we're having about this much broader systemic racism in police forces. It just doesn't. And, and so I was trying to make those points. And then somebody commented on that and said, so you don't think there's such a thing as a racist cop? And I'm like, that conversation has right. nothing to do with right. what I just said. Right. Yes, there are racist cops. Yes, right. there's racist everybody. Yes, racism exists. Um, and so... I'm wondering, too, how much of that we have to, like, this activist contingent, this non-fact-based conversation we have to address in order to finally get to the place where we can talk about the end reality of,
4: of, uh, of emotional conversations that are happening so, so much right now. So I'm going to give you my, just kind of my view of this whole thing is I think every person has to, first of all, decide what level do you want to have this conversation at? Mm-hmm. Because as you said, there's an activist level that's very contentious, and some people love that level. Mm-hmm. Like, some people are fighters, uh, they, they love the debate, the, they can stand and they can proclaim, and they love that level. And there are examples in the Bible of people who are like that, like John the Baptist was one of those guys. Yeah, Like, he, he didn't take a soft approach, he wasn't, uh, you know, the gentle, I'm going to try to reach your heart. He was just like, this is what's true, and and he didn't really, he didn't really concern himself with the cost. So... That's one that's one level we can have this conversation at and everybody has to ask am I willing to pay the price to have the conversation at that level right most people are going to say no right. honestly because they're not most people are not fighters people are, they're not contenders they and Let's
0: be honest there's a social cost for the
4: conversation there is and so if you're willing to make that cost and you can handle it at that level i say jump in and take the stand but don't be surprised if people push back on you mm-hmm. because the the People are not looking for answers today. They're just looking for wins. Yeah. Okay. Now, the other level is a very personal level, that you care about people, and you don't want them to base their lives on things that are not true. That's a very different level of conversation. And I would say the key to that level is curiosity, Hmm. that we need to be good at asking questions, not making comments. Yeah. Because people really are struggling with this. Yeah. But they're not asking all of the questions they should be asking. And there are some obvious questions we can ask that we don't have to be contentious about, we don't have to be difficult about, but they matter. Yeah. So the people who are really upset about what we see happening in our culture, one of the questions we should be asking is, so, Reed, what, what is a realistic solution we can talk about? Mm-hmm. That if, if that's wrong, what should we be doing instead? Yeah. And I really would love to hear your input on it. Yeah. And if you stay curious, not like, well, you don't have an answer. <laughs> yeah. You know, Now we're just back into a big fight that's not getting the average person anywhere. Yeah. But if we honestly ask the question, and if we honestly ask questions like, okay, so if, if we're not supposed to say we're male and female, what are we supposed to say?
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And, and wait for the answer. Because, again, if we, really do, if we really are curious about what other people think, it will frustrate us because we're going to find out people don't have a lot of answers. Yeah. They have a lot of emotion and they have a lot of energy. but They don't have a lot of answers. Yeah. I was talking with my kids
0: about this today, my students, I should say, I, who I consider my kids. Um, I love them dearly. But I was talking mm-hmm. with the students about this today, about um, not to keep on bringing this back up, but just to kind of circle back to this as an example. I was talking to them about um, – why the only answers we have for police brutality are deconstructionist, but we don't have any constructionist answers. Right. Um exactly. and, and, and and maybe I'm wrong about that and I'm just not aware, but I've gotta be honest, in the public conversation I've heard zero constructive answers on yeah, how we're I've actually not gonna heard solve yeah. uh, the answer or solve the problem of police brutality and mm-hmm. systemic racism and police forces if if that if we're gonna have that conversation. But um but yeah, so I think ultimately, yes, this this is where obviously as a man in good conscience, I cannot and would not disagree with the ultimate answer of, one, we need to be endlessly curious and we need to have discussions. But I am concerned somewhat with the fact that the activist consent contingent is doing their best and a good job of it, of just saying, we will not have conversations where people disagree. However, I also know at the end of the day that we need to not only be endlessly curious, but we also need to provide whatever answers we can to these issues because I also am a little bit concerned, especially with people my age and much younger, that there is a hopelessness and a despair and a lack of optimism in this generation. And by the way, um, I don't know if you can speak to this, but there is that among especially transgender young girls, the, um, and transitioning is not helping that the level of depression, suicide, anxiety, and all that stuff is in many cases, only getting higher after girls transition because they find out that it's not really the answer that they were looking for. And I think, Even among the LGBT community, like we need to have open conversations about that and be okay with suggesting these statistics without thinking that we're trying to take away what your identity is or your sexuality or anything like that. We're just trying to have these honest and open conversations about these realities
4: that deserve to have some solutions provided for them. So, so, uh, like, I think the answer to this read is helping people discover their value. Mm. Like, I, I actually am shocked at how many people I – because I coach people on a regular basis. Right. One of the questions I always ask them is, hey, th- now that we've gotten to know each other a, a little bit, I want to ask you the question, what are you exceptionally good at in your life? Hmm. And people look at me like I spoke to them in a foreign language. Wow. That we, we've not given people permission to think that way. I also think that our, our parenting over the last 20 years, we've been so self-focused – we forgot to tell our kids, hey, before you go very far, let me point out, to do you, do you realize you were really good at this? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're afraid people are going to get proud, if we're afraid that they're going to get narcissistic, but the average person has no idea what they're really good at. Well, I,
0: I, I think, uh, yeah, I just want to interject this real quick. I think our culture has moved away from Christianity, and I think we moved away from virtue. I asked my students I, the other day, too, if they mm-hmm. looked up to anybody, and almost every one of them said no.
4: Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And so in if, if there's a void of, I don't know what I'm good at, I, I'm going to look for it. And we, we look for it in all kinds of crazy ways and all kinds of positive ways. But they're also finding that there's not really anybody that they can that they
0: can look up to in terms of virtue and in terms of goodness in, in, that, in our society today. That says something to me about what's going on.
4: You, well, and, and I don't think it's going to happen at the, the – when I was growing up, we would look at public figures that way.
0: Yeah, me I, too. I,
4: me too. I don't think we Michael do that Jordan. anymore. Yeah. I don't think we do that anymore. Yeah. What we're looking at is who are the people that care about me. Mm. Now that's still powerful. That is powerful, yeah. And and so if we if we're gonna turn this, it's gonna be because an army of people start speaking into people's lives. Like like all of this uh transitional surgery, all of this trying to figure out who I am, all of this trying to, you know, find a label that fits who I am. It's all about I'm trying to figure out who I am. Yeah, it's identity, yeah. And, and when they start to realize, you know what, you actually are a remarkable person. Mm. And if you can't see it, let me point it out to you. Yeah. And, and once they start to embrace that, suddenly all the information they have starts to matter. Mm-hmm. But if I don't know who I am, and if I can go farther with that, a lot of people think they're rejects. Yeah, they don't matter. That they've been abandoned by important people in their life. They've been overly criticized. They've been abused. And now they're trying to figure out who am I. And, and that's where if, if we're willing to get involved with people's lives it's going to be messy and it's going to take a lot of us doing it because you't can't, you can't do this work with very many people mm-hmm. so it's going to take a lot of us. And when we start asking questions like so why do you think God made you as a male? Mm-hmm. Why do you think God made you as a female? What are the gifts he gave you? What are the gifts he withheld from you? And why do you think he did that? Mm-hmm. And h- how do we help how do we maximize who you are not who you think you're supposed to be? Yeah, that that kind of work ignites people and gets them thinking clearly, but we have created a society where everybody feels deficient. <laughs> so I can po- post on social media, look how good my life, look at how good this is, look how good that is, which says, oh, you don't have that, mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then we've taken people with great personality and we're magnifying them, and the people who are have difficulty with words or not quite as winsome they're now feeling like, yeah, I don't matter as much and I don't really have as much to offer. Mm-hmm. And we are beating people down as we're progressing. Yeah. And, and then add to that the onslaught of technology. Everything you get that's new is old very quickly. Yeah. And the implication is everything's temporary, everything's transient, including you. That's interesting, yeah. And, and we're just driving people into this hole where they can't figure out who they are.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, by the way, too, uh, keep on going on that if you have more to say about that. But I just want to say in terms of social media, too, uh, we could go down a rabbit trail of social engineering and social media, oh, yeah. too. But <laughs> So we won't do that. But but I do think that uh, the cultural um, machination, the, the cultural reality of likes and not likes, too, is probably fueling a little bit of this identity stuff, too, uh, in no terms doubt. of like – um, if I don't get likes, then I am not liked. So exactly. People are making this. Social yeah. media has now become existential.
4: Yeah. And, and it has become such a uh, – like it's a freight train. Yeah. It is moving so fast, picking people up so quickly. And, and the average person doesn't know what to do except go along with it. Mm-hmm. And, and then we create the crisis. Like I, I managed through a series of events. I managed to get blackballed on one of my Facebook accounts. So the question is, like, do I matter anymore? Can I ask you why? Um, well, yes. It, it's actually a, a big run. So one of my email accounts got hacked. Okay. The email – they used that email account to take over my personal Facebook page. And then they used my Facebook page to get to our business page. They changed it from a relationship page to a weapons page. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then – we we finally got the thing recovered, but because it now is a shift from weapons back to relationships, it's confusing to the audience. Mm-hmm. So my name got tagged as somebody who was confusing the audience. And so I started a new Facebook page to kind of get restarted again. That's that crazy. one got labeled immediately and got shut down. Wow. So I actually can't start a page right now. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all because – of what they called confusing the audience. Uh-huh. So the the bottom line is that I just didn't play the game the way the game's supposed to be played. Well, yeah.
0: It's a little bit unsettling, too, that confusing the audience yeah. now is in the eyes of Facebook.
4: Well, and, and it w- wasn't confusing when it went from relationships to weapons. Mm. But it's confusing when it went from weapons <laughs> to relationships. Yeah, And again, it's it's all just a big control thing. Yeah you know we thought it was all a free speech platform yeah which is why we all jumped on and it turns out it's really not a free speech platform yeah. it's an engineered platform by the way yeah. did you know that apple is going to release an update where now you can decide whether or not
0: you're going to allow your information to be data mined yes that's that <laughs> like who's going to say yeah take all my personal information right it's yours. Right. So I don't I don't know what that does to social media either.
4: Well, it, it it's again it's, it's one of those things that we're running with that we all thought it was going to be safe. Yeah. And now we're realizing we live in a world that's not safe. Mhm. And it's one of the reasons why we have to keep having these discussions is it's not a safe world. Mhm. That when when we have all of these conversations there's a there's an agenda and a manipulation involved in everything. Right. That this this whole gender discussion it's not just about finding the truth. It's about pushing an agenda. Right. Because we used to be able to have this discussion at a moral level. Mm-hmm. Like when I got started in my career, we were talking about all these same issues. They were just a moral discussion. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, what stand should we take? How should we, how should we interact with people who take a different moral stand than we do? Yeah. How do we deal with the implication like uh, down the road when, when it starts to affect families, not just individuals? Right. And we could talk about all that. Because there wasn't a societal political agenda attached to it. It really was a moral discussion. It was on the same level of um, should somebody who's married have affairs? Yeah. Is it okay to have sex outside of marriage? Um, is it okay to have an open marriage? Like We were talking about all those things. And homosexuality and transgender studies, all of that was in the same moral discussion. Right. But then it got, it got said enough that it got pushed now to oh no this is a fact uh-huh. that it's no longer a discussion so now if you disagree with it at a moral level you're like the flat earth people <laughs> Yeah, and it's yeah. A, it's intimidation it's, mm-hmm. it's not a, an honest discussion anymore it's people who don't believe the way the the party line is are now trying to be humiliated into giving up what they believe yeah and I would just say this so, just
0: for the sake of anybody watching who mm-hmm. um, has stuck with us this long if uh your immediate response to a conversation is an accusation, then you're not listening right. uh, and you're not interested in actually having right. a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> rather than – it should be a question, yeah. right? Questions of clarification, questions of yeah. uh, uh, detail and all that kind of stuff rather than an accusation.
4: Well, I, I think these are all discussions we ought to be having. Mm-hmm. And we need to train the average person on how to have it at a personal level because the average person is not a political activist. Right. There are certainly people who, who should be doing that. But for the average person who wants to talk to their neighbor, the, the key to this whole thing is, is first of all, it's never loving to deceive people. Mm-hmm. So it's worth telling the truth. Right. But when you're at a personal level, being interested in the person rather than trying to win the argument is always going to be more effective.
0: Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. IndieThinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself.